0: Hello, falava. you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, or Lotwingo, also Sana coming up. We never experienced facing two cyclones like this one. In their own words, the Niwanuatu community speak about the two cyclones and recovery efforts. Also
1: There's been no mining yet, but it certainly is in mind with perhaps turning to exploitation
0: in the future. Deep sea mining in the Pacific could begin much sooner than we think and later
2: on. Most of the facilities uh, would be ready by end of April. As good as gold,
0: we look at how preparations are coming along for this year's Pacific Games. It's been a month since severe tropical cyclones Judy and Kevin made landfall on Vanuatu. Communities are still reliant on government aid for food and water supplies are contaminated. Last week, New Zealand's Foreign Affairs Minister Nanai Mahuta touched down in the country as part of her commitment to provide assistance. Caleb Fotheringham was in Vanuatu and has the story.
3: The village of Seaside rolled out the welcome mat for Minister Mahuta. Community Council Chairman Paul Fred was inside his home that was only waterproof because of a tarpaulin that lined his tin roof.
4: To accept two cyclones? Within a week, it's unexplainable. We never experienced facing two
3: cyclones like this one. Mr Fred says it's a valuable experience for younger generations to help them prepare for the future. His village is one of five in the country requesting financial assistance from the Vanuatu government so homes could be built strong enough to withstand cyclones. The government should help Nivan to build cyclone-proof buildings so that
4: when the next cyclone comes, it will minimise the reliefs and
3: donations. In the same community, Frederica Artavi, who grew up in Australia, feels the response has been slow.
0: It's nearly a month now, and you can see there's still rubbish on the side of the road, and so it is slow, but that's probably the island life. It's slow and steady.
3: Like Mr Fred, she wants money to go towards properties.
0: The people in Vanuatu don't have access to financial aid or anything to help them with the structural damage so far it's only the food and the hygiene kits, the sanitary kits but for structural damage to houses and things it's up to them to do it themselves.
3: About an hour drive away from Seaside is the rural village of Pangkang. Sarah John, who tends the community gardens, says the village is now reliant on food from government aid.
1: All the gardens, the fruits and the food crops were damaged. Some of them were bananas and cassavas that were uprooted from the strong wind.
3: Water has also been contaminated.
1: Before the cyclone, we had clean water source that supplied the community. But the source is not protected anymore and has been accessed by domestic livestock. So it's been declared not safe for human consumption.
3: Minister Mahuta was in Vanuatu for three days, visiting both communities and meeting her foreign affairs counterpart. She announced an additional $1 million in New Zealand support that will be made available to local non-governmental organisations for the post-cyclone recovery. The minister says the resilience of the ni Vanuatu people has stood out. You cannot
0: truly appreciate resilience until you come into communities where there's been absolute devastation, and yet the people still pull together. They still smile, they still have the endurance factors that help them get through.
3: However, she says the natural disasters take a toll, and the rest of the globe needs to step up.
0: It reinforces why the world needs to take action on climate change because those most vulnerable in the Pacific require us all to do our bit. Deep Sea Mining could be given the green light as early as July this year due to a two-year rule triggered by Nauru and NORI, a branch of the metals company. A two-week meeting of the International Seabed Authority wrapped up in Jamaica last week, with 13 countries now taking a stand for a moratorium or an outright ban on mining the ocean floor. But despite all of the opposition, a legal loophole could still see mining begin in the Pacific Ocean pretty soon. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with Diva Amon, a marine biologist and the co-lead and director for a Caribbean NGO called Species. She's also a scientific advisor to the Benioff Ocean Science Lab at the University of California, Santa Barbara, USA. Croy began by asking Dr. Amon why she thinks mining should be forbidden in the deep sea. I mean, I think there's a couple of
1: reasons that it's important that we don't mine the deep sea, um, especially right now. So what we're seeing happening globally in international waters is this rapid and unrestrained expansion of mining activities in the deep sea. Keep in mind that there's been no mining yet, so all of this is exploration, but it certainly is in mind with perhaps turning to exploitation in the future. So let's start with why is the deep sea important? I mean, the deep sea is this remarkable reservoir of biodiversity, it's home to near pristine and important ecosystems that have everything from dumbo octopus to yeti crabs to sharks that can glow in the dark and this biodiversity is critical for um, undertaking many functions that lead to ecosystem services that you and i and everyone on the planet benefit from so that's things from you know links to fisheries that billions of people rely on helping to regulate our climate by sequestering carbon and absorbing heat uh it potentially could unlock um, solutions to some of the greatest challenges to face humanity in the future like antibiotic resistance and new medicine really we have so much to gain from the deep sea and these impacts that we're talking about from seabed mining are potentially going to be on enormous scales, enormous spatial scales as well as irreversible timescale. That's the main concern here, is that the scales of this activity are really just something that we've never seen before. Um, In the Clarion-Clipton zone, which is where, you know, some of the most uh, mining activity potentially will take place, there they're projected to be about 6 million cubic kilometers impacted if all mining is undertaken in the way that many would like. Um, And when we're talking about the damage, you know, these ecosystems are ancient ecosystems and they do not recover easily. Their timescales are completely different to the timescales that you and I are used to. And so we, these ecosystems will require millions of years to recover. And that's, you know, according to, or well, I'll say that ultimately that's irreversible. Damage.
4: Now, turning to the ISA meeting, this 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 meeting, to your knowledge, what's been said, and w- how likely is it that we see mining beginning this year with the metals company and with with Nauru's triggering of the two year rule?
1: So, in terms of the meeting, what's being discussed? Um, you know, from the outside, I just returned from there. From the outside, it looks to be very procedural. You know, um, we. State delegates and observers have been going through the text of the exploitation regulations, so the regulations to allow mining, and basically going through line by line to make edits. So very procedural. Um, But behind the scenes, you know, in the corridors, outside, et cetera, et cetera, there have been many, many important discussions about how do states deal with this issue of the two-year rule. This has never happened before and to be honest there is a lot of confusion and lack of consensus on what is the best path forward to deal with it um this is essentially history being written here so there are a lot of still big, a lot of big question marks around that um and you know what is going to happen when that two-year period expires in july and if the metals company were to submit a plan of work But there certainly does seem to be this growing group of countries that are, you know, being very vocal about the need to not rush into this industry, to take time, take precaution and think things through. And so we've seen now 13 countries declaring the need for a moratorium or a precautionary pause or a ban on deep seabed mining. Um, and so it really shows that there are countries in the room very concerned about what might happen later this year.
4: But 13, 13 isn't a big enough number to bring about any kind of a moratorium, is it? There's more countries in this ISA group.
1: Exactly. So there are current there are 187 countries plus the EU. Um, and so you're quite right. 13 is still a very small number. But it's hoped That um, even if countries aren't necessarily stepping up to declare a moratorium or pause or ban, many are going to step up and say, hey, unless or until robust regulations for mining are in place, no exploitation should be allowed. And there are way more countries committing to that. And that's pretty critical because the metals company has said that they intend to submit a application for exploitation in the second half of this year.
0: Adding value to the Pacific Games is something its council continues to explore. With Honiara set to host the 17th Pacific Games from November 19th this year, council president Vidya Lakan said there will be ranking events in some sports, while some countries outside the Games membership will be participating. Lacan said the Pacific Games Council wants the International Olympic Committee and the Commonwealth Games Federations to recognise the high level of competition that the Pacific Games is able to produce. Lacan spoke with RNZ Pacific's Elias Satora on the preparation to Honiara 2023.
4: Thank you. You recently visited the Pacific Games uh, host country, the Solomons, uh, last week and saw firsthand the work that is being done there. Uh, what are your yes. immediate reactions and comments on uh, preparatory work that's being
2: done? Uh, yes. Uh, what we do, let's say, is uh, uh, when we get closer to the Games, maybe two years, 18 months, we make uh, a visit every six months and three months uh, just to make sure that uh, we are on schedule with all our uh, facilities and that the organizers committee is on board and functioning and busy preparing uh, to host us uh, against time. We were there in November then we went back again uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, as I said uh, uh, in a press conference before leaving Honiara uh, uh, that I was uh, quite impressed and quite pleased with the mark. Uh, increased activity in terms of uh, facilities. Facilities uh, developed in November last year. Uh, that had uh, told me that most of the facilities uh, would be ready by end of April. Uh, but I said, okay, uh, end of April is good if that's your target. But if I get all the facilities by end of May or early June, we'd be more than happy. So cause, because because uh, in the uh, in the Pacific, as you know, we are uh, uh, you know at the mercy of uh, inclement weather. There's cyclones, floods and all that sort of thing and uh, because facility development uh, erection and all that is all outdoors, not undercover uh, we we get impacted by uh, uh, wet weather. I think to some extent uh, that's what happened Uh, but now we're quite pleased with the way the Chinese are going in developing all the facilities. So they all should be ready uh, uh, for handing over in uh, mid-August I think they set a date of uh, 8th of August is when the Chinese would want to uh, hand the facility to us, uh, which is uh, better than uh, perhaps uh, many of the other previous house countries, because as you know, the games in Solmancy is in uh, November, 19 November is the opening, so getting the facilities in August is, is excellent.
4: Mm, that's uh, uh, very uh, exciting, uh, Mr Lacan and uh, understand the weather and uh, all that has, has uh, had, had a play in uh, in not just the facilities that are being done, and then I was there in late uh, September and saw the roads Coming from uh, the airport into the city, uh, still uh, you know a lot of struggles getting into getting that done and getting it fixed. Uh, uh, if if some of the facilities um, uh, say some of them uh, uh, are late at the handover date, uh, what uh, is the no no? What is the next step then? Oh. What does the council do then?
2: Well, well uh, there, there's no facility uh, that is behind uh, behind schedule. Uh, but uh, you mentioned the road. The road is a little bit of a concern to us, and we did raise, this, raise it with the, with the prime minister. And I'm um, not aware. The road is being built by the Japanese. So they are uh, uh, busy trying to align the, the roads to get the drainage and all that into place and then do the are filling on the uh, most of the road from the airport uh, to the Games facilities uh, should be completed by 1st of September. Uh, It is very likely, which which I uh, have my doubts about, Uh, they said that some of the uh, bit of the road from the facilities to the the, the big roundabout to the city may not be ready. But I think if the weather holds, uh, they might be able to complete that uh, also. But if it isn't, then uh, the roads will be in uh, much better condition than uh, what you just described uh, with the portholes and all that law will be patched up and uh, would be uh, brought to a standard which will be, uh, uh, you know, good for us to use. But I'm keeping my fingers crossed, uh, hoping that uh, Japanese would be able to complete the whole road from the airport to to the town.
4: Uh, still on the Pacific Games and what's happening in Honiara, Vanuatu recently hit with uh, with two cyclones in the past few weeks. Uh, um, does the council in any way get involved with uh, assisting countries like that who might uh, have uh, natural yeah. hazards like that affect their preparations for the game?
2: Yeah, we we do. Uh, What we do is uh, get in touch with our uh, uh, PGA members and and find out, you know, how they're affected and what we can do. So we did the same uh, with uh, Vanuatu a week after the cyclone, uh, allowed for time for communication and networks to be established. Did get in touch with uh, uh, the president and the secretary and ask them how they were doing, whether, you know, they were affected in any way, the facilities, the office and the staff, Uh, but the feedback was got from them right now, they're all, all intact and everybody's safe. And I did ask them if there was any area in which the council could uh, uh, support them or help them. Uh, they said for the time being, uh, they're okay. They don't need uh, anything. But that if they do, they will get in touch with me. So it's uh, almost over a month now. I haven't heard from them. So I guess that they're managing with their uh, preparation to take part in uh, in Honiara come November. <laughs>
0: specific ways for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs or you can download us on Spotify, IHA or Apple Podcasts. From myself and the team that made this episode a great one yet, yeah. so so for